I'd like you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11. It reads, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now we're talking about the subject of deliverance. Various aspects of it, various parts of it will finally get to the end about how it actually works and, and how you minister it and how you keep it. But we're looking at all the things in between that we need to know about so that we can be learned people as far as it, the devil is concerned. Now, the devil's not a fun subject to study, but if we don't know his devices, like he speaks of here, if we are ignorant of what he does or how he does it, then when he does it in your life, you won't know it, and you can be snared like that because he uses the word take advantage of us in there. One of the worst enemies that we have in this life as Christians is ignorance, a fear of truth. When we have an opportunity to learn or to grow or to grasp a truth, of finding something else to do or allowing ourselves to be distracted, or listening to people talk us out of it who don't believe like that. It's one of the big enemies that you have. There's only one thing in life that God is ever going to use to make you free. Only one thing. It's not your effort. It's not your eagerness and your zeal to be spiritual. One thing only that God will ever use to make you free, and that's his word. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. Not a half truth, not a partial truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So it obviously stands to reason that one of the works of the devil against you is to keep you from understanding the truth or from knowing the truth or to make you so busy during a day that you don't see how you can go to church tonight and you're just so tied up and tomorrow's coming and what am I going to And so you get so easily distracted that when truth comes, you didn't get it. You didn't pay attention to it. You know, Wednesday is a special day in your life. It really is. Now, it's special because that's a day that we have assigned ourselves to come together as a body. I mean, Wednesday's no different than Tuesday or Monday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday. But it's special because it's a day that we set aside by choice to meet together as having a called assembly. And our design, if we're doing it right, our design is to fellowship, to worship God, to testify and to learn something that God has for us. And so it is important that we pray about it. Pray before you get here. Don't let the devil rob you. Don't let him talk you out of your need. Jesus said to Martha, only one thing is necessary. Only one thing. Of all the things that people talk about we need, Jesus said, God in a body said, there's only one thing that is necessary, and that's hearing the word of God. Luke 10, the last couple verses. So we want to do that. We want to pray that we'll hear the word. We want to pray that our heart will be open to it. I can't remember a time in the last 10 years I've come out here without praying for an anointing. If we don't have that, we don't have much of anything. We're going to beat our gums. We're going to talk for a while, but we're not going to learn anything. But if God anoints our hearts, if God anoints his word to us, then it'll be like a light. The light will shine up in our hearts. We'll be brought into a better understanding of what he wants and be made more willing to do it.
So deliverance is dealing with the devil, being set free and all of that, and being able to deal with the devil in your life. And there's a lot of things that he tries to do, like he said here about his devices, that we need to be aware of. Now, one of those areas I want to deal with tonight, I mentioned it, got off track. You got me totally sidetracked last week on it for a little bit, is the occult. And tonight I want to, as a subtitle to Deliverance, I want to title it The Dark World of the Occult. The Occult. It's one area that Christians are quickly, easily, and commonly ensnared. And the reason is because they don't know that some things are demonic. They don't know that there's an occult spirit operating behind certain things. We just assume that everything is all right. We didn't get hurt. We didn't feel any pain. I didn't fall apart, didn't have a wreck, didn't get sick. Must not be much to it. There's a little track on the table back here. The knowledge in the little track is so good and so vital in this area about the occult that it would do you good not only to read it, but also to keep it somewhere in your Bible in case you need to refresh yourself or if you ever run into somebody who's been involved in the occult, this will help you to deal with other people, to minister to other people. But you need to know about it, first of all, yourself. Because as I said, so many people are involved in the occult and they are brought into bondage or they're held captive because in this area they give place to the devil. One of the things that we're warned about doing in Ephesians 4. Now, when people say, well, how can we as Christians give place to the devil? How can the devil get a hold of us if we've been redeemed? Well, we'll get to that as soon as we're through with this. But it happens all the time. I mean, there's no mistake when he said in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, we are to cleanse ourselves as Christians, redeemed people. We are to cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of flesh and spirit. And there are spiritual defilements in our past. Yes, we were delivered from it. But the oppression that it brought into your life it doesn't just always go away. You have to deal with things in your life. Otherwise, a lot of things in the Bible about overcoming really aren't important. But they're in there because they are important. And when you give place to the devil, you open a door to things that you're going to have to be enlightened to get out of. And that's what teaching is about. Now, the occult is specifically in the dictionary defined as beyond the bounds of ordinary knowledge. It means something concealed, something hidden from view. I would define it like this. Any method of seeking guidance for help or answers or spiritual enlightenment Whatever you turn to, to seek answers, guidance, help, or spiritual enlightenment that is not God or any aid of a spirit, not the Holy Spirit, that shows you things, is the occult. It's occultish. It is always, there's not a time it isn't, it is always of the devil, orchestrated by the devil. It always snares whoever's involved in it. There's no way it doesn't. This is one of those things the devil uses to bring people to bondage. And remember, he goes about like a roaring lion, looking for the one who doesn't pay attention or for the one whose Christianity is entirely intellectual. I've seen so much of that in my life, intellectual Christianity. You grasp it with your mind. 
you learn the verses. You learn how to put A with B. You learn characters in the Bible, memorize the books of the Bible. You become efficient at doing Christian things without your heart engaging with the Lord and doing it as a passion for the Lord. And when the devil finds intellectual Christians, he very often misleads those people because some things to an intellect, I don't know about that. You can talk about Raggedy Ann dolls or little dolls and stuff like that. I don't know about that. And, you know, I, I, now that, I don't know about that. And you could be misled so easily by that work of that spirit. But when you talk about seeking help or guidance from a spirit, not the Holy Spirit, talking about things like fortune telling, kids play the Ouija board or Kabbalah or all kinds of games about having your palm read, being hypnotized, seeking some source for help. People get hypnotized because they think they can lose weight. That isn't all you lose. You can have your palm read so you can know where you sell your house or who you're going to marry or when you're going to marry or say you can go down to Cracker Barrel and buy an eight ball and shake a thing and ask it a question and turn it upside down and a little thing will float up and it'll tell you what, you know. People like that. And a lot of people base their lives on it. They read the horoscope in the paper every day and they base a lot of their decisions on the horoscope. Or they buy little items they put in their house and they attach some kind of a spiritual meaning to it and they look with their affections on these little idols or statues or pictures. And God never gave us ever anything like that to look to as an object of worship. Never. Ever, never. He told us in the second commandment of the Ten Commandments, you shall not make any graven image of the likeness of anything heaven, earth, in the seas, anything. There is no picture, object, or anything that we devote our affection towards. The Jews were never painters or sculptures. The Greeks were. We don't have any paintings or pictures of Jesus. The Catholics have found all of those in the sky and on doors and and woods and stuff, but we have nothing like that we transfer our affection to. We worship God whom we don't see. And we believe. It's all by faith. We believe he is. And we believe what he said. And the devil fights that as much as anything. He don't want you to do that. He wants you to depend on that four-leaf clover or that little charm you got in your pocket. My daddy used to have a little thing stuck up in his car all the years I can remember in his work truck. It's St. Christopher Guide Me. Who was he? Who was Christopher? Probably a buddy to Valentine or Valentinius, whoever he was, that everybody likes to get involved in. It's so easy to worship things and to follow things and to celebrate things. You know, you can't tell me that Christmas, there's no soul in this world that could tell me that Christmas is in any way, shape, or form a Christian moment or a Christian day. You couldn't do it. The very name Christmas betrays it. Christ Mass. Guess where it came from? Guess who invented that? Or St. Patrick's and the little goblins that goes with that, or Valentine's Day. You know, there are churches that used to break from all that stuff that are doing that now. I know multitudes of people that used to walk this way that are back into Christmas. I keep saying to myself, what happened to them? Well, apparently it was easy to give all of this up, and I don't think it was ever a treasure in their hearts. I don't think it was ever a treasure. 
Can you imagine Valentine's Day? The heart, the shape of the heart, the arrow that goes through the heart, the time of romance. Do you have any idea what that means? It's not a very nice day. But people thought, oh, come on now. And that's what gets people snared. They participate in things. They hold to things because everybody else is. And they don't see behind it there's a certain kind of danger. There's a kind of a spirit that's behind all of those things. So we talk about Ouija boards and palm readers and tea leaf readers and all these occult things, horoscopes, astrology charts, things that people turn to for guidance, asking questions, what should I do? And all of these things are the occult or the occult. This is what the devil does. And you see it everywhere. TV, how many programs in the last 20 years have had to do with a witch? You know, cute witches, nice, pretty witches. They do all these supernatural things or they can disappear or like Santa Claus. He knows if you've been good. He knows if you've been bad. He doesn't age. He was just born old and he stays old. <laughs> he must be a god. People don't think of things like that. They just think you're running the children's day. That's all. But you're not. These TV, like medium, isn't there one called the medium? About a lady who's a witch. But she's a nice-looking witch. Or the mentalist, and he's a nice-looking wizard. Mentalist. You ever heard of the mentalist? It's all in the paper. All of these kind of things. Disney, what has Disney ever produced outside of a few animal shows? What has ever been a spectacular Disney hit that wasn't full of magic? Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Maybe it was Cinderella. Maybe it was all these witches and maybe Mary Poppins riding that broom around. She was pretty cool on that broom, wasn't she? Or maybe it's Peter Pan. He could do stuff, couldn't he? Wasn't he cute? You realize that all of that is intended to fascinate? Remember, growing up, there was a song that was fascination. I know. You know what the word fascinate means? It means to hold under a spell. You lose your discernment. You give in to that stuff because it's popular, it's cute, it's enticing, and you want to do it and watch it and see it. Oh, wasn't that cute? And it just gets a hold of it. It's enticing. And there is a spirit behind it. Do you think there's a spirit behind this Harry Potter stuff? Whoa, I didn't, you got that one right. Amen. <laughs> right answer, right answer. Yet when Harry Potter first came out, there were churches and leaders who were justifying it. Or the C.S. Lewis thing about the lion and that, whatever that was, you got in a closet and found a lion and went somewhere in a journey. Something about a witch. And nobody thought that was wrong. What's good about it? So, well, the lion represents God. Not really. I don't think so. We just want things so bad that we try to justify that it's all right because I really want to see it. And sometimes it's tough to make hard decisions like don't be like the world. Come out from among them and, and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. Why? Because if it's unclean, you're going to associate with it and you're going to give place to the devil and you can be snared. That's what the devil does. I think the last verse in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26, it talks about being taken captive by the devil at his will. 
He goes about like a roaring lion. He wants you to put all of this stuff about witches and goblins and Halloween. Come on. He wants you to put all of that in the category of innocence. It's all for fun. We don't mean anything spiritual by this. You don't have to mean anything spiritual by it. It's spiritual whether you mean it or not. But it's a bad spirit. You give place to the devil when, by ignorance, you participate in things the devil offers. And if he can convince you that what's going on in the world is not, oh, come on, it's not bad, or make you feel like you're isolating yourself from all the good people of the world by saying, oh, I can't do that, that's the devil, that people will go, oh, come on. Then you won't have any friends. You're going to be out by yourself. Nobody's going to like you, and they're going to think you're weird, a freak of nature or something, so... We just cave in. Some people are strong, though. They don't want to do that. They'd rather be marked out for persecution than to give place to the devil. If you've enjoyed the freedom that God gives, if you have put yourself in a place by your choices you're making, if you put yourself in a place where you're walking with the Lord, you don't have a lot of worldly friends. You don't always have a lot of Christian friends. Even they're concerned about you sometimes. I mean, every color book you bought for the grandkids, you tore all the clowns out of it and tore all the hearts out of it before you let them color in it. Well, of course it would, because bringing stuff into your house that attracts devils is one of the things the devil uses. You know, you bring something in your house that is of a demonic origin and you make it your own, you're bringing a snare into your home because that attracts demons. It really does. And so we have to learn... We have to understand and we need to seek out to know the truth about all of this so we don't get caught unawares. Because the devices of the devil, the word devices is a mental word, know us. It has to do with the way he captures the mind. We're not ignorant of his schemes and his wiles and the things that he tries to trap us with. Because he does that. Now, he can't trap you if your eyes are open and you've learned what his traps are and you're walking soberly and circumspect in this world and you're cautious and you're keeping your eyes open and you're not going to take any chances by doing whatever you want to do because it might be the wrong thing to do. And when you've been taught what is right, you want to live that. You want to do what is right. He that knoweth to do good will do it good because if he doesn't do it, then it's because of sin. Now... <clears throat> Let's look first of all tonight at the occult as it occurs in the Old Testament. Let's begin all the way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 11. Genesis 11. This is where it started. As far as I'm concerned, this is where it started. At the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 11 and verse 4. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad and so forth. Now, commentators, not all of them, but a few commentators got this right. These were people who sought to find guidance in the heavens, not from God, but from their perception of what God should be, which should be created order, the created things. And people do worship the stars. And they figured that the higher they could build this building, and a picture of it is, has a big base and a smaller second floor. It's built like a little pyramid. This tower had on the very top floor, I am told, there was a 
depiction of a zodiac, what is a modern-day looking zodiac, and this is what they use to map out the heavens and determine their worship and their guidance and what they would do and not do. This was called a ziggurat, and this is where this thing was that was in the surface like a zodiac today, and the people use that to worship. Now, put your finger there for just a moment and look in Deuteronomy chapter 4. There's something that God said about this, not the Tower of Babel, but of doing things like that. Now, in Deuteronomy 4, he tells them that they're not to do that. Like he said in verse 16, lest you corrupt yourselves and make a graven image, the similitude or the likeness of any figure, the likeness of male or female, or the likeness of any beast, or anything of that sort, Unless you do that, and then he would have to judge you. The likeness, verse 17, of any beast that is in the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl, verse 18, of anything that creeps. And he said, and then verse 19, lest thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven should be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord God divided all the nations under heaven. There are people who do. In fact, some of the aspects of the New Age movement and all the witches and Wicca and all the people that are involved in like crystals and pyramids and stuff that they use to attract spirits. They call them good spirits. To enhance their knowledge, God is energy, they call it. And the energy, nowhere in all the created order is energy more evident than in the stars. Therefore, from the stars and the planetary system, this must be to us what God is. And so they worship the created order instead of the creator. And people do that. They feel good about it. And why wouldn't they? Well, why shouldn't they? That stuff can't talk back to you. See, the, the stars don't tell you that you're a sinner. Buddha doesn't tell you you're a sinner. He just tells you that you've got to get better if you want to keep reincarnating. But it's God in his word that describes man as a sinner. Man doesn't want to hear from God. He'd rather hear from stars or have his own perception of what the stars said or what he sees or how he feels. Doing his own thing. That's what iniquity is all about. It's me being the boss of my life and doing as I please. And in the last days, that's what's going to abound in this world is self-serving people. If it gets a lot worse, I don't know what the world will do because the world is full of cocky, arrogant, self-serving people superficial people just working overtime to be something that they admire. But anyway, back to what he said about the Tower of Babel. They built this tower in order to seek out God on a closer level. The closer, the higher you get, I guess, the closer they could get to God. So this is the first instance of bypassing God to get information or to be spiritual that we find in the Scripture. Now, go to Leviticus from Genesis to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19. And look in verse 26. You shall not eat anything with the blood. Why is that? Because the life of the flesh is in the blood. You don't eat that, okay? You shall not eat anything with the blood. Neither shall you do enchantment or observe times. 
Now, we'll get to what those two things are as we keep going. But he says, you don't do that. Now, we're talking about God's people, and this is in the Old Testament. Now, look at chapter 20. Go over the next page, chapter 20, and verse 6. And the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits. Now, that's what you find at a seance. A familiar spirit is a demon who has revealed itself in some personal way to a medium. And the medium perceives that this spirit that tells them things in the spirit world, and the medium may then translate that to the people who come to their seances. They call this having a familiar spirit. And why people go to seances is so that they do a lot of things. Necromancy, they try to make contact with the dead. They ask questions and spirits often speak out or they tap on the table or things happen. They're just trying to find out the future. And any attempt to find out the future by any means other than God is always, always an abomination. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to God. And he reveals those things whenever he chooses. And to seek that information by any other source is an abomination. So briefly again, he said in 20 and verse 6, he that turneth after such as had familiar spirits and after wizards, those are male witches, to go a-whoring after them, desiring them, I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. Now, let me ask you a question. What will God do to you if you do this anyway? He will cut you off. Now, most people, if you don't have a relationship with God, you wouldn't know you were cut off. But if suddenly, like in King Saul's life, everything goes blank, God no longer talks to you, you're cut off. You'll see that in King Saul's life shortly here. 19, verse 31, regard not them that have familiar spirits. I guess that would include the TV programs too, wouldn't it? Or the books or speeches. He said, regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be, to be, uh, to be what? Does your Bible say, verse 31, to be defiled by them? There's so much in the Bible about this. You can be defiled. You can be accosted spiritually, and you can be held captive. You may not even know you are. I mean, you read this little pamphlet telling you about occultism and some of the symptoms that you experience when the devil through the occult way comes into your life, just things that happen, losing interest or can't sleep or marriage problems or other things, just all kinds of different ways that you begin to experience things that you shouldn't experience. But you get so used to experiencing it, you never equate that with that time you had your palm read, you know, all you acting foolish at the fair. You never equate that moment with the doorway that brought you into all this oppression. You can't sleep or can't get along with people and moody and angry and just all kinds of accidents. You can't find things, lose things. That's not normal. Just frustrates you to make your life miserable, hear things at, at night, fear of this, fear of dying, fear of what people think. I mean, you say, well, those are normal things. Well, some of them are extreme. None of this should be. 
But there's so much of it that nobody says, well, the devil does this. You know, they just say this is what happens in life with people. Nobody's perfect. And the devil, it just chalks up one to the ignorance of people. Let me tell you something. You're supposed to have the abundant life. God has made it possible for us to be set free from everything that binds and oppresses. Didn't it say that when Jesus healed, he healed all of those that were oppressed? That didn't mean he just healed a few people. Everybody he healed was oppressed. That's what it means. And when the devil comes in like a flood, God lifts up the standard against him. He has no right to do all of this, but if you give place to him, then he will. And you can be sitting in a church, spirit-filled and all of that kind of stuff, and you're sad, you're lonely, dejected, no peace, no joy, don't worship, can't believe. Trouble with faith, can't understand, fall asleep during church. You need to make a connection that none of that's right. That's the work of the devil. All of those things keep you from hearing. When you hear the truth, you hear a little thought in your mind, well, if that's true, then why? Yeah, well, if that's true, how's come after all these years ahead and worked for me? It just keeps all these things that combat the truth. This is the work of the devil. The Bible explains that he's deceived Eve through his subtlety. And he said, lest your minds should be led astray. So we're warned over and over and over about how the devil works with things like this. And sometimes he gains the entrance into somebody's life because of this. Now, again, verse 6 of chapter 20. The soul that turns after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go whoring after them, I will even set my face against that person. Now, let me tell you about King Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14. This is what it says about Saul. There's a lesson to be learned here. Verse 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul... And an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And they said to him in verse 15 that an evil spirit from God is troubling you. That's when they called David to deal with it. Now, we asked the question, well, why would this happen? Why would God allow an evil spirit to trouble Saul? He was a king. We'll go back to chapter 15 now. We're going to look at verse 23. For rebellion... I wish I had an hour just to talk about this one word. This is a plague. This is a scourge of so many people's lives. It's rebellion. I don't want to. I'm not going to do it. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as self-rule and idolatry. Now notice... Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, God has also rejected you, Saul, from being king. Not only has he rejected you, but he has allowed an evil spirit to trouble you. You suppose a man that has an evil spirit that is troubling him is a happy camper? Well, you don't have to turn to this one, but in chapter 28 of this book, Beginning in verse 7, Saul sought help from a witch because it said, verse 7 through the end of the chapter, because it said there that Saul no longer inquired of God because God would no longer answer him. So Saul didn't know what to do, and so he went to a witch. He disguised himself, the witch at Endor, and he wanted to talk to Samuel. 
So he asked her to bring up Samuel and all of those kind of things. Then it concludes, if you'll turn to 1 Chronicles 10 and verse 13. Go over a couple books to the right. I want you to see this too. In verse 13, this is how it concludes with his life, and it could happen to anybody else that did this. So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord. How did he die? It said he died. He didn't just die of natural causes. In 1 Samuel 31 and verse 4, he committed suicide. He was about to be overtaken by the Philistines, and he asked his armor bearer to kill him, lest these uncircumcised Philistines torture him. And his armor bearer, he wouldn't do it. And so Saul took his sword and he fell on it. That's suicide when you murder yourself. He said, well, why didn't he trust the Lord? Because the Lord wasn't in his life anymore. That's a bad thing. So it goes on to say in verse 13, Saul died for his transgressions, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. That's why he died. Now, do you suppose that any of this could carry over into the New Testament? Or if this was true in the Old Testament, do you think God has changed his mind about who we seek after? Then if the judgment was like that in the Old, it would also be like that in the New. I mean, it doesn't have to spell that out clearly. What God said is what God has said. Like Romans 15 says, these things were written for our understanding. We're supposed to learn something from this, and we're supposed to give the more earnest heed to these things. Because what was written in the New Testament, they didn't have a New Testament yet to refer back and forth to. They were all talking about the old. You know, they say the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. So he's just showing us that this is something that happened to even a king, a specially selected king, that even he, if he turns away, he'll die in his sins too. <clears throat> Terrible thing, but it happens. Deuteronomy 7, the last two verses. We mentioned this last week, and I want to say it again. Verse 25. This is a warning. And remember, Deuteronomy is a repeating of the law, a rehearsing of the law before they go from Jordan's stormy banks over into the promised land. Remember this, he said. Let me tell you about the law before we go over there. Remember this. The graven images of their gods shall you burn with fire. Well, you know how much I paid for this thing? This thing is 24 karat gold and got two diamonds for eyes. I mean, you can't just take something that costs $1,600 and burn it, can you? It depends on how badly you want to be free. I mean, you can get a demon cheaper than $1,600. But it says, The graven images of their gods shall you burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest what? Lest thou be snared therein, for it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. Now, if something represented another deity, if something, some object, some picture, some totem pole, some, what are those things you hang, those little things that clang when the wind blows? wind chimes or maybe a dream catcher 
You know where all of that stuff came from? You know who designed that stuff? You don't find it in Bible. So he says, whenever these things come up in your life or whenever this stuff is talked about, he said, they attract spirits. They bring demons into your house. They usually are expensive, well-designed. They are eye catchers. They have eye appeal. A lot of people cast their affection toward it. They get interested and intrigued by all of this. They seem to imagine that behind this object, there is a force or the power or the energy of a God. And therefore, there should be a level of devotion to this thing. Carry the little crosses. You know, Catholics that believe there's power in a cross. Jesus is still on it. He hadn't been raised from the dead. He's still hanging on a cross. If you see the pictures that a lot of people have of a cross. I think Catholics in their demonology and casting out devils, they think they can lay the cross on the victim and the demons will come out. Well, sometimes they do because that makes these people who have no interest in doing it right. It makes them think that you are really got something here and they get misled and deceived. And one day it doesn't work and they get snared and everything falls apart and you lose interest and your heart's broken. And they're just people that are so easily hoodwinked. Can you imagine, think that you can lay a cross, even an unbeliever can point a cross at the devil and he will have to scream and yell and run? He's not afraid of a cross. The only cross the devil fears is the one you're supposed to carry every day. Because the more time you spend on that cross, the less opportunity he has to get a hold of you. The only thing in my life the devil can get in by is my flesh. If I keep crucifying it, I keep eliminating his opportunities. Until finally, as Jesus said, he has no place in me, I can say he has no place in me either. I've been cleansed. I have overcome all of these things. The devil is under my feet. That's what the Lord is looking for. He wants us to put his enemies under our feet. But he said in verse 25, Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into your house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. Notice you can be snared in verse 25 because it's an abomination, and in verse 26, you can be cursed by it. The zodiac plate, the antique with the zodiac on it, or some kind of a mantra from some island, some kind of a carved thing that represents some voodoo god. Some of the ancient histories, they used to make dolls for their worship ceremonies and stuff. And they represented somebody or some person or something. When they got through with them, they'd give them to their kids to play with them. And these kids had such attraction with these dolls, and they still do, that they begin to imagine the doll as really their child. They can't sleep without it. If you lose a little doll like that or one of those little things, boy, they are terrible. I mean, they can't function hardly. There's something not right about all of that. But we're so naive that we don't want that to be true. I mean, after all, what will people say about us now? I guess apple pie is next on the list of things we get to get rid of. That'd be all right. I'm helping get rid of one now at home. But anyway, (laughs) lest thou be snared by it. You know what happened to the book of Acts? Whenever their eyes were opened to see the demonic 
put your finger in Deuteronomy or a pencil or something, and just for a brief moment, turn to the book of Acts 19. Acts 19 and 19. Many of them also which use curious arts. Now, curious arts apparently had to do with formulas that the masters of darkness had written down on how to use incantations or how to chant, that the chanting was how you brought the demonic power or the gods that you're worshiping into your presence. You would chant a certain way or do certain things. These were the formulas for how to bring all of that in your life, into your presence. And in verse 19, he said, Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them, and it was 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. When the people saw through, because before this, you know, this, there was some deliverance trying to take place, and it didn't work right. And people saw the power behind messing around with the devil and not knowing what you're doing and what can happen. And the power behind these curious arts, they took all their books. They brought all their books and all this stuff, all their Edgar Casey and Ruth Montgomery and and whoever the newest masters of deception and deceit are, then just burn them, all their catalogs, all their rock music, which glorifies these Eastern religions, and all the Zen Buddhism, and all the stuff that has to do with another God, the glorification of that God. They bring all that stuff in their records, and they burn all that stuff. And it was worth 50,000 pieces of silver. Or they could have said, well, why don't we put it on eBay and get something for it? Now, well, if you do, you're only passing on your trouble to somebody else, and you're guilty now of bringing to bear oppression in somebody else's life. You have to get rid of it. Like a lady that Bonnie and I knew, her grandmother, great-grandmother, somebody gave her a little four-leaf clover once. Now, what is a four-leaf clover? It's a charm. It's a charm. You attach to a four-leaf clover an opportunity for good fortune. And as long as you have the four-leaf clover in your pocket, good things will happen. If a black cat runs across your path, he'll die in the middle of it. He won't even be able to make it because you got a four-leaf clover. Now, you know that's all silly, but if you think that's true, then you're into it. Or that rabbit's foot in your pocket. Boy, you hold it on, you're getting ready to go somewhere, and you hold it on that rob. Don't let anybody get me. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for good luck. Help me now. Help me. Well, that rabbit's foot can't help you. It didn't help the rabbit. <laughs> can't help you either. People don't think of that. Well, they read the astrology charts. And today, you know, if your sign is Scorpio, a Hoogio, a Vudio, and it says on there, today you're going to meet, and today, 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 well, boy, people get all chipper. Oh, man, this is my day. And they have a wreck before they get to work. But there are people who plan their day after this stuff because they think it's real. Well, curious arts is how people learn to do these things, they say. I mean, somebody that writes the horoscope is a human being. Most of them just do it because they get paid to do it, and they make up stuff and put it in the paper, and people believe it. I mean, they just believe it's right. Oh, God, look what God said, or look what I got from my spirit today. And the person that wrote that was smoking a cigarette and drinking coffee when they wrote this thing down. How naive we are. 
how naive we are. The other word that's the same Greek word as curious arts is found in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 13. 1 Timothy 5, 13. If you found that yet, is the word bozzy bitty in there? <laughs> busybody, you see it yet? Now, the word busybody is the same word as curious arts. Same word. Now, you just take this a grain of salt, okay? Busybodies here is described as something which is spiritually inspired, not by God's Holy Spirit. The people who put their nose in places they shouldn't put it, and as then say things they have no business saying about things they have no clue about whether it's right or wrong. I think we call that gossip. But some people can, by the latest news and information, control other people. Have you heard the latest? Well, let me tell you, this right off the shelf. And then people start calling somebody, well, what have you heard? What have you heard? Well, and there are people who can give their version of something, even though it's misleading, and they can control other people. It's called witchcraft. And witchcraft is a controlling spirit, whether it's with gossip, whether it's with rudeness in threatening people, and you control people. The wife who whimpers and whines, but you never do that. I can't even ever do The husband says, all right, I won't do it again. That's the second time. But it's a control spirit. Or she wants a new refrigerator, so she gets all loving. Because it's a control. It's a part of something that comes from a dark world. No Christian should ever act like that. We should never lord it over anybody. Now, maybe if you're a parent and you have children that need to be disciplined, that would come under a different heading, or a footnote would be there for that. But Deuteronomy 7, verse 25 and 26 is quite clear about the fact that you can bring something into your house which comes from another God, which seeks another source, bring it into your house. It was a wedding gift. It was you wanted at a raffle or something, a door prize, and it's everything wrong. And the Bible tells you what to do with it. You should not desire the value of it. Just get rid of it. Get rid of it. Amulets and charms are not things that Christians need because the origin of amulets and charms is not God. God never gave us an object to trust in for good luck. I don't know the word luck is even in the Bible. We don't need that. Now turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Now Deuteronomy chapter 18 is probably one of the best chapters in the Bible to show us the different kinds of occult spirits, the danger of them, and what will happen to us if we fool with any of this stuff. You need to get this out of your life. Off your bookshelves, out of your life, out of your kids' books. Everywhere there's a trace of this stuff, you need to get it out of your house. Get rid of it. Get it out. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire. We have no problem with that. Nobody does that. They did that then because somehow or another you find your 
peace and communion with the Lord to be on a higher level, I guess. This is how you please God. You don't please your child, but you please God. They thought, they thought. Verse 10, there shall not be found among you any that maketh the son or daughter go through the fire or that useth divination. Now, divination is finding out the future by a spirit, which is not the Holy Spirit, but whatever means finding out the future. Horoscopes would be one of those things. Fortune telling, the crystal ball, the Ouija board, palm reading or tea leaves. Whatever is offered to you that promises you tomorrow's knowledge today has nothing to do with seeking God to find out, but you can get it right away, is always of the devil. Always. Divination. Second thing he mentions here in, in verse 10 is an observer of times. An observer of times would be a soothsayer, one who foretells the future or uses omens and signs because people see a shooting star and they say, you know, at this hour of the night, that has to do with a bad thing that's going to happen in the village. Now, this is real evident in the islands of the sea where there's a lot of voodoo that people are so ignorant and they fear so much these witch doctors or these shamans or down in the Gulf, the traitors. They fear these people that have this demon that runs their life. They look weird, they are weird, and people are scared of them. When the witch doctor goes into a village in Africa, the people hide because they don't know if he's coming in peace or not. And they think he has all these strange powers. He's carrying these bones around in a little bag. He can come in and put a curse on people, and so often when he puts a curse on somebody, they die. I mean, this is demonic. But it works with those kind of people. Thirdly, he talks about an enchanter. That's a magician. It's one who casts spells or fascinates. Fascinates. Fascinate would be a word the dictionary says that to hold spellbound by an irresistible power. To bewitch, to cause you to be grabbed by something. Remember Galatians 3, he said, oh foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Who has so captured your mind and your thinking that you can't even see the truth anymore? I mean, when somebody begins to tell you the truth, it's like you go into another zone. Somebody is tampered with your mind. You can't see. How can you grow? How can you do anything if you're bewitched, if you're held under some kind of a spell, some irresistible power? I'm going to tell you something about this word today. I think a lot of rock music bewitches the people who listen to it. And how often it is that people who listen to that music also do drugs. One affects the mind and the music feeds it. And you get in another presence, which is demonic. It's all demonic. And then you read the music on the back of those jackets, if they still do it. I haven't seen this. I've heard this. But these albums, do they still have albums? Or are they all CDs now? Okay. Get you magnified. No. You get out and you read the lyrics to the music. And it's vulgar. I mean, four-letter words after four-letter words about things that are just nasty and vulgar. Now, some mother's child wrote this stuff. 
I mean, their minds are warped. Their minds have been warped. They have been misled somewhere in their life. They have a different and a wrong attitude of, about life and about the world, about God. Why do you suppose so many rock musicians cannot tolerate the Almighty God, but they really want to get involved with Eastern religion over the Dalai Lama or stuff over there in the East? What is it about that stuff that is so interesting and so vital to these people? The Beatles, you know, the Beatles were singing about Eastern religion, Zen, and talking about, in some of their songs, I understand, they were discussing their religious attachment to Eastern religions. Enlightenment, they call it. New Agers do that. But when you bring up the subject of Jesus, they all go to the grocery store, in the banana department at the grocery store. They cannot tolerate it. You can't bring the name Jesus up in a conversation. They just can't handle it. That ought to tell you something about all of that. That ought to show you what's behind it. So an enchanter is a magician, one who casts spells, uses incantations. Or, nextly, at the end of verse 10, is a witch. All of these are very similar. They all interweave with each other. A witch is one who casts spells and controls people. That's what they do. They cast spells and they control people. I am told that on the island of Haiti, that voodoo is everywhere. And the people are under the spell of this dark spirit. It's a terrible place, I'm told, about the squalor and the poverty. And Christian missionary groups are there by the boatloads. And nothing has ever changed. Everybody wants to feed those people. Everybody wants to take them something to eat and something to wear. But what they need is to be enlightened. They've been held under sway for all these years. Their fathers, their grandfathers, their people before them. They have no hope and they're without God in this world. That's the work of the devil. That's the work of the devil. And in verse 11, the charmer. A charmer is another person who fascinates and holds spellbound. I'm sure you've all seen the snake charmer when a real live venomous cobra comes out of a little thing and he blows that flute and sways his head and that cobra follows him. Maybe you've never seen it. On Animal Planet, I saw it once. That's one of the few decent things most of the time you can watch. It's a charmer, one who holds another under a spell. Again, you can do that with music. A hypnotist is a charmer. It's what a hypnotist does. He takes you out of yourself into himself. I watched my senior year of high school in the summer at a Christian church in Bedford, Indiana. I watched one of the youth directors that was one of the counselors at this camp hypnotize a guy. It was fun to watch. And it had this guy quacking like a duck, and we laughed and laughed, and he could make him just about do anything. And I remember being intrigued by it. I remember at those times watching him. I thought, I can do that. I did. I thought, I can do that. And so I went home. I found a guy that I knew. And I said, I'm going to show you something I can do. And I said, now, I want you to concentrate. I want you to really think. And I didn't use a watch or swing. You see, I just began talking very softly to him. Suggestions. Words. And, you know, it happened. This guy went into a trance. I would say things, and I said, you are a dog. You must bark. And he'd just start barking. 
Now, he wouldn't have normally done that. He was smarter than that. I thought. <laughs> it was really bad. I mean, it turned out, by the grace of God, both of us were spared from a really bad time. I understand. I've been told there are people in asylums, insane asylums, who went into a trance and never came out of it. And they're in a cage in their own mind. They can't get out. They'll die like that. They never make the connection. Joe had watched a man die, this fellow named Joe, and the truck had crashed him down the road from where he lived in the country, and he ran down there and couldn't get the guy out of the door when the truck just started burning, and the guy died, and he heard him screaming and all that. Oh, it was a terrible experience. So I'm going to help him get over this. Even put a match under his finger, just held it there. I mean, just a real match. I said, you can't feel that. And all of a sudden, he started screaming. And he said, I can hear him. I see him. He's, ah. And I started, come out, come out, whatever he tried to do. Come out, come out, come out. And he wouldn't come out. He stayed in that screaming. I mean, I was petrified. I was totally scared. Because I thought, his parents are going to come home, and this guy is gone. And what did you do to him? Well, <laughs> how am I going to explain all this? And he got out of that, and I remember the time I said, I will never again do, I will never do this. Well, when I got saved and I saw the spirit behind it, I went through the cleansing and renouncing and confessing and the shame of it all and the sorrow of it all. And I'm very keen to that stuff, and I see people that try to just stare at people all the time. You know, eye contact is not good. There's a reason that God told a lot of women about having downcast eyes and not being intrigued by the way somebody's looking at you or the way somebody is staring at you. I was in a meeting in Lexington, Kentucky once, and a witch came, I was told. Him and two or three of his underlings sitting out there, and as I would look at their direction, there was this, like that. They were trying to cast a spell on me. Well, I have to admit, I was very uneasy, but I was aware of it. And it kind of hindered me at first as I got over it, saw what was happening. Then I saw some guys come and sit behind them, start pleading the blood of Jesus, and then they broke their power. But it was a war for a little while. So, you know, even though I had a horrible experience and did some really bad things with this, God delivered me from it, and the experience has been beneficial in my life. Be careful about people who want to mumble around you and look at you and, and talk and try to charm you, because people do that. People do it all the time. A lot of this happens in bars. And people who hang out in bars, you know, sometimes that stuff happens, and that's what you get, but that is what you get. I mean, it, it does happen. Another word in verse 12 is a consultant with familiar spirits. That would be the person who goes to a seance or to the witch to find out the future, to find out something that they should not be finding out that way. Then he says, Wizards, in verse 11, or a wizard. A wizard is a male witch. Does the same thing as a witch. Casts spells, holds people under spells, casts curses on people. And then he ends this verse by talking about necromancy, which is calling up the dead. That's what the witch at Endor was trying to do. One who inquires of the dead, conjures up spirits of the dead for purposes of magically revealing the future. And people go to them because of, of, of all of this. Now, in light of what he said here, these are warnings. These are warnings to God's people. 
Here's how this ends and the warning ends. Verse 12, and you take note of this. For all that do these things, whether innocently, I didn't know that, whether innocently or informed, all who do such things are an abomination unto the Lord. Now, I'll tell you one thing. You cannot be blessed to the Lord and be an abomination to the Lord at the same time. I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder how many people in Christian meetings around the country have no true Christian interest in God because of this. They consult their horoscopes. What if I told you a lot of psychiatrists use hypnotism and Christians don't know the difference? It worked. I lost 20 pounds. Well, I'm just going to tell you what he said in verse 12. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God will drive you out from before him. You have no relationship with God if you do this. If you want to seek these things, seek them. But you can't seek the world and God. You can't serve both. It's an either or, one or the other. Like all through the Bible. And when somebody comes up to you like four-leaf clover, she dropped the thing and picked it up, and one of the leaves fell off of it. And she said, now I can keep it because it's a three-leaf clover. I think she did. It had a lot of gold and all of that kind of stuff. I would suggest that anything in your home, anything in your life, anything that you're attached to that is of occult nature, you get rid of it. Books, material information, pictures on calendars, Wherever they are, and any and all Disney stuff, all of it. I wouldn't have any of that stuff, none of it. You do what you please. But Disney World is an occult world. You want to go ride the little trams and swing on the little slides, you go right ahead, but the devil will meet you down there. I rode down there one time in 1973. Me and Jimmy and David, and we came in a little, little turn. There was a mirror, and there was Casper right in the middle of us. I didn't see him, but he was in that mirror. But if, what's going on here? And you get out of there, and you drive home, and you're thinking, no, you're really ignorant. <laughs> you know what? You're, you're a class A ignorant. you summa cum laude in school of ignorance. What's the matter with you? I talk to myself like this. What's the matter with you? You know better than that. Why would you do that? So I renounce that in Jesus' name, and Lord, don't hold this against my children. It was my fault. You get rid of that. You make mistakes in your life, but you, hopefully you learn from those mistakes, and you can pass on the wisdom of your learning to others. Amen. We'll pick it up next time after this. Deuteronomy 18. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to minister to these people the truth of your word, so that they would believe it because you said it, not because I said it. That you would spare them of all the things that would defeat them and harass them and cause your word to shine in their hearts so that they can be overcomers in all things. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.